You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Detroit City of Champions. And it's also the name of the website and the Facebook page. It's also the name of the greatest season in the history of American sport. Greatest forgotten season. It's the greatest season, and it has been forgotten. And uh, we're bringing it back. Don't call it a comeback. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to bring it back. We're going to dive into these stories. We did the Lions. We kicked it off uh, last week and delving into uh, the Lions a little bit. Potsy Clark. And... uh, how the Lions came to be with uh, well, Potsy Clark. Yeah, yeah well, we were, the, the big thing to introduce you know, to the Lions is, is Potsy Clark. I mean, he's, uh, uh, we, you know, we labeled the episode the, the forgotten genius of George Clark. Yeah. Um, and it, as we were talking about in the last episode, um, uh, he, he could easily be uh, called the, the, the father of the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was to the Lions what... Uh, what Frank Navin and Mickey Cochran, sort of a combination of Frank Navin um, and Mickey Cochran were, you know, like as far as like a central figure in the story uh, to the Lions, to the, you know, to the, to this, uh, to this Lions team. I mean, he's just a, he's just a critical figure to understand in order to understand where the Lions came from, the team that, that came, um, th- that, that became the Lions and, 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 and how they, be- and how they won that 1935 NFL championship. It's essential to understand about Potsy Clark. So I was, yeah, cause I didn't know, um, he was no longer a player, right? Cause I was no like used to, to Mickey Cochran yep. being, uh, you know, a player manager. Uh, Potsy ended his career, uh, over during, was it World War? World War One. Yep. Yeah. World War. I was, yep. I was like, won the American Expeditionary Force Championship. Yeah. Yeah, with then, the, yeah, with but the he was a powerhouse division. on the yeah. field. He was, uh, he was a, he was just, uh, just a, yeah, he's a, a superstar. A yeah, yeah, he's just a super. I mean, every if we, we went down the list last, yeah. in the last episode, just like every single team. I mean, from high school, college. I mean, everything he went through, they were like undefeated season, undefeated yeah. season, and he was the star of every team he went. You know, he played on. And uh, I guess you're bound to pick up a few things. Yeah, you know, <laughs> by uh, just yeah. undefeated season after undefeated season. Um, yeah, so that, you know, we went, we, you know, we talked about like where he came from playing for the University of Illinois, um, the AEF championship right. in World War One, And then uh, we got into the, you know, his, how he, you know, came to the Portsmouth Spartans in 1931. Right, right. So where, where do we go with Potsy? Where do we go with Potsy next? Where did we leave off exactly? Well, we left off at the uh, 1932 NFL championship. Game. Okay. And so, yep. From that, That's yep. right. Cause it was, it, that was the very first NFL championship exactly, and for and for as far as the records are concerned, and this is this is what I mean. This story in itself is really the you know and and you know worthy of the episode, um, whether you're a Lions fan or not, because um, just the story of how the first NFL championship came to be is right. is, is, is very very cool. Because there wasn't, they didn't uh, they didn't have an NFL championship game. There was a, no NFL championship. Right, Whoever right. finished with the best record won the NFL championship. That's okay. how it went. Okay. Um, but at the end of 1930, at the end of 1932, what mm-hmm. ended up happening was uh, the Green Bay Packers. This is this is the season. You know, if, if for viewers who saw the last show. Uh, the Lions, or I'm sorry, the, the Portsmouth Spartans um, beat the beat the uh, Packers in the Ironman game, mm-hmm. where all where their players, were, their their eleven players played the entire sixty minutes of the game. Jeez, yeah, and that was Potsy Clark in his. In there, it was, um, you know, this is this, you know this is a, this budding rivalry with the Packers that uh, one of the things originates. Uh, one of the reasons for this rivalry originates at the end of 1931 yeah. when the Packers had declined to play the Spartans. 
and and basically won the championship because they didn't even need to face the Spartans to do it. Brats. Exactly. And so the, the you know this animosity grows and and for whatever reason the next season uh, Potsy makes this you know declaration to Curly Lambeau who's the coach of the Packers. Right. That uh, that they're gonna the next time they play him they're gonna only use eleven men and that they're going to and that they're gonna beat them. Yeah, and, listen, see, we're only yeah. using eleven guys. We're yeah. gonna smoke you. We're gonna smoke you on the field. Yeah, and that's what and that's what he did. And that's what the <laughs> and that's what the Spartans did. They were that talented that they could play eleven guys and then beat the Packers. And then the game that they beat them in in nineteen in uh, nineteen thirty two was the one that basically knocked them out of the the championship running. And so, what's which is interesting is that the Packers had a had, had won ten games that year, mm. and uh, I believe if you want to look it up, it's uh, the, the 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 Spartans had uh, six wins, I believe, and I think there were six and I think there were six and five, but they they had a bunch of ties, and ties didn't count for any didn't count for anything. Yeah. And so, what ended up happening was is that even though the Packers had way more wins. The, the the Spartans and the Bears tied for first place just because of a winning percentage huh. at the end of the season. And so in uh. order to, to decide who would win the championship, they had to play like a one one more you know playoff game, so to speak. Okay. And, you know, and then the NFL had actually been looking for a way to have sort of a, a World Series of football. Yeah. You know, the World Series was so popular in baseball. Yeah, yeah. And so this was a natural result of that is to say, well, let's have a playoff, you know, mm-hmm. a playoff game. The only problem was is that uh, the is that there was it was later in the season and there was these massive snowstorms ripping through the Midwest <laughs> and so they and so they uh, the, the the game the previous game in Chicago they and they played at Wrigley Field back yeah, then yeah the previous game had only drawn four thousand fans oh. to in Chicago the previous Bears game. And so this, and now a week, week, you know, a few weeks later, whatever it was, after that last game, it was um, the weather was it was way worse because it had already been cold, and now they're saying, well, you know, if we have this, could be a chance for a serious money maker. Mm-hmm. You know, this could be a really big money maker. So if we have it outdoors in a blizzard, I mean, who's going to come to this? Right. They're not going to yeah. do it. And yeah, yeah. So they decided to to uh, play, and then when I say they, I mean George Hallis, who was the owner and uh, ma- owner and coach of the Chicago Bears, they decided let's play an indoor game at Chicago Stadium, which was the home of the Blackhawks, right. the ice arena. Look at that. Yep. yep, there it is, yep. So, so it's uh the this is so you're telling me the story of the beginning of arena football. Is well, what no, you're... this is the beginning. Of, <laughs> no, I mean, it, 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 I mean, it looks just... like arena, but it, this is the beginning of the NFL championship game. Mm-hmm. So it's even, I mean, it's bigger. This is as big as it gets. And so they so they play indoor. They want to play indoors, right? F- uh, for you know, for this game, and the, and the Spartans agreed to play in Chicago because there's way more money to be made in Chicago than yeah. there was to be made in Portsmouth. And so um, the game would end up drawing eleven thousand fans. Yeah, yeah. okay, that so, beats the four thousand big time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, anyway, so they so be, but the pro there was a you know huge problem with this game is that the is that you're playing in an ice arena rather than a full on football field, yeah. which is a hundred yards long. Yeah. So the uh, the dimensions there's the dim- people talk about the different dimensions. There's a lot of different. Um, a lot of different dimensions. You know, it ranges by a few feet for different descriptions. So I'm just going to go you go with uh, you know, sort of the sort of an overall estimate. Of the ones I've found is you know the, the 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 most ones that kind of agree with each other is that the uh, is that the overall length of the of the of the arena you know where they played the playing surface was was 80 feet long, in that there was 10 feet marked out on either end zone, and so the actual playing surface was 60 feet. 
or I'm sorry, it's not 60 feet, 60 yards, you know, instead of a hundred yard football field, it was 60. And so, and then it was 60. So it was basically uh, 60 feet wide oh. by, um, by 45 yard, I'm sorry, 60 feet long by 45 yards wide. Can you even imagine today um, a variance like that? I mean, cause you had like inflate gate, yeah. you know, and it was like, oh, the balls weren't inflated. You know, yeah. I mean, there's so many rules and, and just hypersensitive to everything to sure. the rules can you imagine it's like oh well you know because of covid or some reason they have to play a game in 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 something that is is yeah. less than just like unsanitized you know like it's like something's like like yeah they have yeah, to make or it up it's, it's go, like some so some rule you know or, yeah. or it's like oh yeah you can't uh you know have balls and i just whatever it's just how that how that would play today in today's yeah. world because you know playing with a field that's like you know, cut. It's, yeah. it's just, it's amazing that they did it. And, and that, that, that kind of showed how they were Iron Man or just, we're playing, we're going, yeah, this is, we're going to make yeah, it happen. Exactly. You know, this is the NFL. Um, the NFL was uh, founded in 1920. So at this point, the, you know, really the league is only 12 years old. Yeah. So it's really still in its, in its infancy. Yeah, roll with it. Yeah. Well, for Let's sure. Make so, up they're, some rules. so they're making it up as they go. <laughs> yeah, you know, the yeah. check was that, you know, the, the paycheck for something like this was huge. I mean, yeah. these teams need, especially in the middle of the Great Depression. Right. Um, you know, this is, you know, this is a big, uh, you know, potential payday. So, sure. um, so a few other rules that went into the, to playing in this, um, reduced size, like I say, uh, 60, 60 yard playing surface long and then 45 <laughs> yards wide, uh, in the normal surface wide is 50, 50 yards. Mm-hmm. And so, so also besides that, um, so in order to, to, in order to, um, sort of rectify that, you know, to, to adjust for this. So every time a team crossed midfield with the ball, right. they were automatically brought back 20 yards okay. to compensate for the shortness of the field. Right, right. And then, um, and so also what had never happened in the NFL prior to this was the, they have these, they call them hash marks on the yeah. football field. Right, yeah. And so the hash marks, a lot of times you, so the way that it works is um, uh, whenever a ball, like if the ball goes to the left of the field or to the right of the field, the way it is now is the ball is brought to those hash marks, right. to, you know, to, to to center the ball in the middle of the field more. Where back in that these days, right. there those there was no hash mark. There oh, was the, so if you went out of bounds, if you if you're if the player went out of bounds, yeah. then the the play started like literally like right near out of bounds. Oh. So you, a, play, a lot of times the team would have to use up a play. To just to reorient, just to get more to the center of the field. Right, right. So you that, got your center on the edge, and everybody lined ex- up off to the side. Yeah, of them, that's like know? virtually what would have to happen. Yeah, yeah, as they would be right next to the and out wow. of bounds. So yeah, so in this case, they made those hash marks just so that they knew, you know, because you couldn't be that close to the boards sure. like that. And yeah. so those hash marks were created, you know, to keep people, you know, to keep the players away from the boards. Mm-hmm. And then we're gonna see in a second, like that's one of the rules that ended because of this game. That's what ended up sticking. Like literally, that became a, a permanent rule change because wow. it worked out so well because of this first championship yeah. game. Yeah, and so so there's that. I, I did not know that. Yeah, a few, yeah, a few, a few do. So, anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, and so then also the goalposts that were originally in the back of the end zone, yeah. in the back, in like the very limited, you know, the back end of the field, they were actually brought out to the goal line for this game, okay, to make it easier for kickers to to score and to increase the the point scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was another fixture that was made permanent after this oh, game. Okay, was 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 that, and then um, uh, what what else do I got here? Um. So yeah, so yeah, so those are two uh, massive, you know, massive, um, yeah. you, know, ch- you know, changes to the games. So, um, anyways, so the uh, um, so the game itself was a defensive battle for the first three quarters of the game. 
Okay. All right. So, so it's zero zero. Oh, I got. I left out one thing. So going into this game, mm-hmm. so the so both teams, you know, they're you know the top winning percentage in the league. But the but the Portsmouth Spartans, their elite number one player, we've mentioned his name a couple of times already, is a guy named Dutch Clark. Yeah. And so Dutch Clark is an elite, like he like he is one of the best players in the NFL, like one of the top like two or three best players. And um, and conversely, on the other side, the Chicago Bears have Bronco Nagurski. And just by his name alone, yeah. Bronco Nagurski, yeah, yeah. like this guy, there's some videos that maybe we can get to in another episode um, showing Bronco Nagurski is like the the nearest way that I can describe him because I've seen a ton of videos on him. Yeah, Bronco Nagurski was like the Shaquille O'Neal of the uh, of football. Oh. That's why I describe him. Like Shaquille O'Neal in basketball was like just overpoweringly physical and dominant. Mm-hmm. Like you could never like block sh- a shot, you know, a shot from Shaq. Mm-hmm. Like you'd break your arm if you tried to block one of his shots. Likewise with Bronco Nagurski, you physically could not tackle him by yourself. If you attempted to tackle Bronco Nagurski by yourself, you'd end up with literally broken bones. <laughs> what, what what was his height, his weight? Do you uh, you know, off the top of my head, you yeah. caught me there. It's I think he was like, uh, you know, yeah, Take a look, man. It's it was like I mean he was just a monster. <laughs> when you see a picture of Bronco yeah. Nagurski yeah. with his shirt off, I mean this guy, like especially in the 1930s, when you see a lot of these other players right. that are that are um, Iron Man football, so they're they're all they're all look like super athletes. You know they're yeah. you know they're chiseled, mm-hmm. but they're by t- you know by comparing them to NFL players of today, yeah, they're nowhere near as like bulk. You know they're back then they were just like elite athletes. Got it. And so, but Bronco was like this monster. I mean, he was a tank. He looks kind of like Tarzan Christensen from the Lions, but he's even bigger than like Jeez. he's wider. He's wider than Tarzan Christensen. He was six foot two, two hundred and twenty six pounds. There you That's go. stacked. Yeah. yeah, dude, he was he was he was a monster, and he was there, and he was a running back. So like this is the guy that they would eat. So they would. So this is the thing about Bronco Nagurski is is he was um he was an absolute tank. You could you could not tackle him one on one. Like that was the rule back then was you didn't you never tried to tackle Bronco don't Nagurski. Go, don't go for the shoulders. You, yeah, yeah. Even even two players even two players trying to bring him down was a was sort of a risk. Right. And the 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 goal was to use three players to tackle him at all to any time you made you went to a t- you know to tackle him. The goal was to clog up the line with him and then just. Just bring him down with a pile of guys because uh-huh. he was that big. I mean, he was that much of a mauler. But here's this is what's interesting is as good as he was as a running back, uh-huh. he was a better blocker. So, th- so a lot of times they wouldn't even use him to carry the ball. They would use him as a blocker for faster running backs, and he would just maul people. I mean, he was that good. <laughs> and I mean, he was like, I mean, he's like one of these these figures. It's like the Michael Jordans, the Shaquille O'Neal, you know, like these legendary, like these like these guys that are just elite athletes in the game. Well, there he All is. right, like elite. Yeah. yeah, there he is, right there. That's um, that's tight end. Yeah, wow. he was an absolute monster, and he was also their defensive. He was played defensive tackle on defense, and he was. Just an absolute. I mean, you never ran to his side of the ball. He, I mean, offense or defense, no matter where, wherever Bronco was at, you you either tried to avoid him, or you tried to like gang tackle him or whatever mm. you could. And so, of course, the Bears would use that as a weapon. You yeah. know, they would fake they were giving the ball to Bronco, and half the team would shift to try to tackle him. <laughs> That's and coming from the Star throw Tribune. Throw the ball the other direction in the Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah, That's nice. where we're pulled that image yeah. from so um so anyways but th- so I, I you know this build up for bronco i just you know it's just to show that 
Um, so that's what the Bears bring to the table for right. this 1930. And he, and they so they built this entire offense around really around Bronco Nagurski. They've got a. I mean, they're if you picture the Bears um, team, yeah. they're they're just basically like a, a team full of monsters. But I mean, a lot of these guys play on both sides of the ball too. Exactly. Yes, but they're but they also have some of the most physically imposing people in all of football. <laughs> so it's not just Bronco. They've got mm-hmm. a bunch of other guys that are all um, that are just monsters. There's a ton of Hall of Famers that come off of that Bears team. He's and, a good-looking Joe there, yeah, too. Like he would—he was a wrestler. Too. He had a hard time yeah, with the ladies, yeah. I'm sure. So they, um, so anyways, <laughs> they, uh, so so just so to, you know to, to mention Bronco Nagurski. This so that's the Bears' ace and hole. That's their superstar okay. that they bring to the table. Now the Spartans on their the polar flip the flip side of the, mm-hmm. you know the, so the weapon that the Spartans bring to the table is Dutch Clark, mm-hmm. who is not anywhere near the powerhouse that Bronco Nagurski is. He's right. a, he's a completely different player. So, uh, so Dutch Clark is just like the elite of the elite athletes of his era. Like anytime he touched, he was more of like, I mean, he's like, um, anytime he touched the ball, Mm -hmm. he was a threat to score from anywhere, whether he was throwing the ball, whether he was, um, whether he was running the ball, catching the ball, catching the ball on a punt, the actually punt returns were some of the biggest, uh, biggest, um, back then punt returns were like the, one of the biggest thrills of the game because it was like a ball, guy would catch the ball and then have the opportunity to thread his way through the entire defense. Yeah. So punt returns were like the, actually the big, uh, action moments of the games. They were re- much more emphasized punt returns than, than today's game. But Dutch Clark, we got to get a better picture of him. That's a, that's an old one. Yeah. He's got some really cool pictures. Um, cause he like, Anyways, it, it'll work. Yeah. You know, you get his idea of his face. I got I got better pictures to bring out of him. Yeah. Um. But uh, anyways, um. Yeah. So so, but the reason I mentioned it, so Dutch Clark is is an, is an, an elite athlete, an elite scorer on offense, right? And then on defense, he was also an elite defender. Like he right. was a he played safety. He okay. was like an elite defender. And uh, we'll probably do a whole episode oh, will, on, on Dutch. Yeah, but the reason I'm, but yeah. the reason I'm introducing so this we got thing, the bookends from it, on the yes, teams there. But now I'm going to pull the rug out from underneath your feet okay. because here's the thing: is that Dutch Clark, this super, the, yeah. their answer to the, uh, Bronco Nagurski, yeah. is gone from the game. No, yes, why? Because they because um, he had taken a job at the uh, in Colorado at a you know at a, it was, either, it was uh, at Colorado <laughs> College, and so and and he had already left for. For the Colorado before they had announced that the the game was going to be played this extra game, oh, no. and so when they tried to recall him, he's he, like, I'm, I can't. His contract had already started, and the school wouldn't let him come on. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. So as so yeah, so he so he couldn't participate in the championship game in 1932. All right, so they so the, the Spartans are down yeah. their best player. I mean, their elite guy, their answer to Bronco. So despite that fact, you know that's from, that's why I wanted to step back a second before I sort of talked about the game. Right. Because despite that fact, the Spartans hang with the Bears for three quarters. It's zero zero for the first three quarters of the game. Okay, which kind of shows you how good they are. Because um, you know, even without their best player, they're hanging with the Bears. You know, um, zero. You know, for 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 three quarters. Um, And uh, I was going to say the. um, it, 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 prior to this game in this season, um, the reason for all these ties that the t- both teams had is yeah. that is that neither team had beaten each other all year. They both they tied twice prior to this game, mm-hmm. so it was like a you know dogfight between these teams. And so here it is: they've tied two games previously in the season, and then in the championship game, the first three quarters of the game are zero zero. <sighs> They're I mean that's how intense you know I mean this is an intense matchup between these two. We're we're 
Where's Clark when you need him? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> he probably you know, potentially could have broken it. So, anyways, the tie is broken. Right. When um when I, the so the the Bears are driven down to the to the Spartans two yard line, mm-hmm. and uh and so um there's this massively controversial play. Con- I mean, like this play is so controversial that even. There's an interview with um, Glenn Presnell, who was really probably the second best athlete on the on the Spartans team, and he was the guy. He was actually without Clark, he was their main guy. Yeah. Um, Glenn Presnell, at I think he was 97 years old, did an interview. He was the oldest living NFL player, and he was by by in the Detroit News. Oh. Um. He did a he did a uh, I think it was Detroit News, one, one of the Detroit. He did an interview um where he talked about the game back then, and he talked about how um. How that he like even in this time he said he was still complaining about the call that I described. <laughs> he was still complaining about what happened at this moment yeah, yeah, because yeah. what happened was so they're at the two yard line zero zero game fourth quarter fourth down and goal okay and the bears so this is their, their the bears either score here or the Spartans get the ball and start heading up the other direction okay and so so what happens is that the the Bears quarterback takes the takes the, the snap and he um and he hands it off to Bronco Nagurski. And Bronco Nagurski charges into the line like he's about to plow his way through the middle, you know, like a, a you know, just a smash play right yeah. to the middle of the defense. Right. And as he does so, as he um, goes into the line, he stops at the line, jumps up, and throws the ball oh. to, and, he, and it's Red Grange catches the ball yeah. on the backfield for a two yard touchdown. Uh. And so what? And so what? What was controversial about it was back in the at that the rules for that year. The rules back then were yeah. if you were going to throw a forward pass, you had to be five yards back from the line of scrimmage. Oh. So the fact that Bronco had rushed towards the line, jumped up, and threw this ball, it was like a, a pop pass type yeah, of thing. Yeah. And the fact that he had done that um, was like. Clearly against the rules. Okay, right? but I mean, they don't call it. They didn't call it. They called it a touchdown. And so that's at this moment where where's the instant replay? There, <laughs> still a few years ahead of it. So yeah, 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 a little, yeah, yeah, a little. Yeah, it's a few, still a few years into the, the future. guy's still sketching it. Yeah, he's like sketching the play. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Almost done. Was yeah. the forward pass prominent during the, yeah, the game at this point? Yeah, in time? The, yeah. The forward pass was you know that it was becoming increasingly increasingly utilized. Yeah. Um, but it was still like the but the but the the idea like the way that it was back then we were talking about last week is is the idea that. Um, back then, like nowadays, it's you know when you see a quarterback drop back to pass, the the offensive line forms a pocket around the the quarterback to protect, and they go into like this max protect where they're all like just they give up a yard just to shield the quarterback, mm-hmm. holding ten yeah. yards. <laughs> well, back in these days, what they would do was it was more about like misdirection, like in this case. So it was like you would throw the ball to one running back, he would. You know, he would run a few yards to his right, and then another guy would come around the other direction who was like left-handed, and you know, throw it to a pre-designed route runner. Wow! So, and you know, so and it was in the passing back then. You could be incredibly sloppy, as evidenced by this game, which I saw this uh, fact when I was kind of looking up some some of the elements for this game. Um, eight interceptions and only five completions in this game. Wow. That's how ugly. So it could be some of these games when you're, when you're trying to pass could be ugly. Um, so put up some really ugly numbers. But in this case, the touchdown. Um, counts and then the Bears would get a, uh, a a safety on the Spartans for two points and then they would win the game nine to nothing. Ugh. Yeah, so that first championship game goes to the Bears, but within the within this um uh so within so just to let you know that that controversial play. What's interesting is yeah. another concept is born because the NFL. Uh, it must have been a really thrilling moment. I mean, you can imagine we set the stage fourth quarter, you sure. know, fourth and goal. Yeah. Um, and the Bears complete this touchdown to Red Grange. 
And so, you know, the, the NFL leaders at that moment must have really, uh, it must have been a really cool moment yeah. because they changed the rules that, that for the very next season. Mm. That a team from now on only had to be behind the line of scrimmage. You didn't have to be five yards back. Okay. Like that play triggered this this change in sure. the rules. Or Hallis had so George Hallis had so much sway that he changed the rules so that it wouldn't look so bad, <laughs> you know that he had, that they had broken the rules to get the biggest score of the game. Yeah. I mean, but I I think it's the latter. They they recognize the value of um of of not having to sit there and measure out two yards behind the line or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it was just a, you know the natural thing saying as long as they're behind the line because it you know opens up scoring way more. Wow. If they can throw from anywhere behind. And this was all 1932. This is 32. This yeah. Is like 32 game. Yeah. And so the other result that came out of this game was, uh, was that the, was the success of this, the fact that they drawn 11,000 fans yeah. for this was so, I mean, this was a massive payday for everybody involved at a right. time that money was probably the number one concern, no matter what was going on. 32, man. That's a uh, tough times. So. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, so what came out of this was the NFL then broke up the league into two pieces. It became the East and the West. Okay. So every year thereafter, there would be an NFL championship game played. Okay. Every year thereafter. So the first game, the first NFL championship, which was sort of a, you know, almost an accident. Yeah. It came about as an accident as a result of these teams tying. Um, became an institution and eventually became the Super Bowl, you know, the way that we know it today. Yeah. So that's why I say it's almost as important story just for, I mean, whether you're talking about the, the Lions or what, but, yeah. Um, so the, but this is Port, then it's so this is the Portsmouth Spartans. Is Potsy Spartan. Clark is on one end of the, on one side of the field and, uh, did the, you know, Potsy Clark and the Spartans are on one side. Yeah. And then George Hallis and the Bears are on the other. And so, but there's one other thing that comes out of this game. And yeah. this is really why I, I wanted to focus on this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I got to flip, I got to get to uh, page three. While you're, while you're finding that, Mike, uh, Mike Frazier. Yeah. My buddy said, Hey, Scotland. great yeah. stuff. And Mary, Mary Tom, Tom, Tomlin. She's becoming a regular. She's yep. a regular. She's a, what she a, said, great job. Great job, Charles. They're we checking appreciate in, you so. guys watching. Yeah. Definitely. Everybody who's watching, um, yeah, it's would love it. Like lots of people tuning in through the podcast Detroit pages and the Detroit City of Champions. And I set page. up a watch party on my page as well. So excellent, excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Matt Fox. Matt Thanks, Fox, Matt. All yeah. been killing it on the on the boards. And I'm just pushing your buttons, Jamie. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> I love it, man. So, um, so there's one other thing that comes out of this game, and yeah. I wanted to actually read the quote because um, it's it's kind of a rare uh, thing. You don't really see too many other many places. Yeah. Um, and so this quote comes from um, a book called Monster of the Midway, um, Bronco Nagurski by Jim Dent. So it's a more of a mod. I, I wish mm-hmm. I had the year written down right here, but when the book was published. But um, but anyways, it comes from his book. And this is a quote that says, um, uh, talking about the championship game. And it's and just to give you a frame up. So so when I, you're going to hear the word uh, Gatowski, and this mm. is Ace, his name is Ace Gatowski. Okay. And Ace Gatowski was one of the best running backs, like in the history. I mean, like, or especially early history. He was like, he was kind of the lion, the, the, he would eventually become, he was the Spartans and the Lions version of Bronco Nagurski. Okay. But not as, not as physically terrifying. Like he was, <laughs> he was, you know, he was, you know, he wasn't at, you know, he was, he was your bruising, you know, running back, yeah. you know, blocker, so to speak. Um, but he wasn't, and he also played defense. He was a great defender. Um, but, and Ace Katowski is like one of my favorite players. I mean, plus his name is Ace. Like, how cool do you got to be? Hey, like, Ace. Like, yeah, how about like, you play for us today? Yeah. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, if, you know, how cool do you have to be if your, your, you know, your nickname is Ace? You I just know? got the one old timey voice. That's yeah. all I got. But that's all you need for the 1930s. Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> so, so that's where you're going to hear about this story involving Ace Katowski. All right. Um, Potsy Clark and George Hallis. And so, uh, in 1932, uh, um, 
Ace, it says, in 1932, Gutowski was tripped by coaching legend George Hallis in a championship game against the Bears. With the Bears leading and four minutes left in the game, Gutowski took a handoff and began returning the ball along the sideline. Hallis stuck out his foot and tripped Gutowski as he ran past with the ball. The officials didn't notice, but Portsmouth coach Potsy Clark went off like a Roman candle and told <laughs> Hallis he was playing the game under protest. Hallis reportedly responded by yelling, protest this, while saluting Clark with his middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> yep, with a single finger. Yep. So that's one other thing that comes out of this game. I mean, it, you know, if there wasn't a rivalry already, George is a, a cantankerous yeah. little cuss. There, this, is a, this is taken a little bit later. Yeah. I think a little bit. I think this is more. That was like more of like a nineteen fifties <laughs> uh, picture. Sure. He's a little older than this because he was. Uh, cause well, his, he, he looks cantankerous. Oh yeah, no, he does. Yeah, that's kind of why we picked yeah, that photo because he. Uh, it kind of <laughs> shows. It kind of show. I think it captures the the way that I that I picture his demeanor <laughs> yeah. was that he was like intense yeah, type yeah. of character. Um, yeah. So, so that really, I, if the rivalry between Potsy Clark and the Spartans had not been born prior to this game, right. It's certainly that incident right there. Yeah. Certainly, um, <laughs> did not, you know, like didn't, didn't reduce the, the, you know, the animosity any, yeah. especially the fact they got beat in this championship game. So, so yeah. um, so, anyways, yeah. So, really, to sum to sum up, um, you know, what we were a little bit we were talking last week, and then what we're talking about this week, yeah, is this uh, is that you've got two burgeoning, you know, hot rivalries with the Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears mm -hmm. with this very specific team, the Portsmouth Spartans. Yeah. You know, with these players with Potsy Clark, um, you know, between all there's there's this whole, uh, um, you know, swirl of, um of rivalries brewing yeah. you see what i'm saying uh, yeah it's so, just growing excitement for the for the the sport well um, with but i around. think this is within the game yeah. this is a rivalry oh, within yeah. the game and so the fans that see this especially as the team as we'll, we're probably going to get them into the you know posse clark with the lions next you know next episode but um but as they tr as they transfer um you know as the spartans become the lions and they move to detroit you know, the Detroit fans are like, oh, who's this team? You know, we, this is our brand new football team. Maybe thinking they're like, you know, kind of a, you know, let's see if they're going to be good this year or not. Yeah, yeah. And then they watch in the game and there's this like blood feud yeah. between, <laughs> these, between these players. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right. Like, they're like, man, like these guys want to kill each other. Yeah. You know, like these guys hate each other. Like, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. You know? So that's what I mean. Like, they're, that, that rivalry that's begun in Portsmouth. Would end up, you know, becoming transferred to Detroit, and that intensity on the field is not lost on those that are watching these games. Right, and that's what I'm saying. That's why it's really an important concept. That's why Portsmouth, the you know the his, the story of Portsmouth Spartans yeah. with this team is essential to understand when it when it comes to um you know to talking about the uh, about the what, what's going to become the Lions. Do we need to talk about 1933 now? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what's yeah. so? What's up in 1933? Well, 33 is the final pivot. This yeah. is the final moment before um they become be, before they become the Lions. Yeah. Um and so uh j just real quick, I just wanted yeah. to briefly talk about I just want to just just go back just for a second. Sure, sure. And talk a little bit more about George Hallis and Curly Lambeau just to yeah. talk a oh, little okay, bit more yeah. about these two guys. Um, it just, just show this kind of inner, like this, you know, the type of figures that was, you know, in this league at this point that were the rivalries with, with the rivals with, with Potsy. 
And so, um, so George Hallis and Curly Lambeau are two of the most like iconic names mm -hmm. in the history of the NFL. Right. Yeah. I mean, Lambeau Field in Green yeah. Bay. I yep. mean, it's, it's his, his name is on the field, right? Yeah. <laughs> and George Hallis, even though his name isn't on the you know the Soldier Field or whatever, but he but he is he was everything, and his nickname was Mister Everything or okay. Papa Bear wow. for the Bears. All right. Um, and so ha so this is just a quick fact. So uh, Hallis, so George Hallis, Curly Lambeau. But and Bill Belichick, okay, mm -hmm. are the only three coaches to win six NFL championships or more. Oh wow! All right, and Hallis has the lead with eight. Well, so Hallis has eight, Lambo has six, and um, Belichick has six. Mm. So that's what I mean. Like that's how like these guys are winners to the bone. Right. All right. And these guys are you know they, both of these guys were the founders and owners of their team. Okay. Both of these guys had had exceptional um, careers, like leading up to you know before they were coaches. Uh, both of these guys, they they started out their teams as, um, like for instance, the um, George Hallis was working at a company called A.E. Staley, which was a, a starch manuf like a starch manufacturing company. Okay, and then he was they they had a they had this uh, they 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 had a, a, a basically like a semi pro football team that he played for, hmm. like totally under the like not anywhere you know it was just a a, a team that played and he was their star player yeah. and then he took that team. You know, they he actually dressed them in orange and blue to reflect his his alma mater, which is Illinois. Okay, and then that team would become would end up. You know, there's a whole lot of other elements to it, but that team would that would become the Chicago Bears. Huh? And and uh, you know, he was the founder owner. Um, you know, all this stuff with this team. Was it how founder? Founder to say owner, founder and coach of the team. Right, right. Was he a player before that in his day? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So he played. He played with the. It was, you know, they. You know, they, they called the Decatur Staley's. Okay. Slash Chicago Bears. So Hallis played from 1920 to 1929. Oh, okay. And then Curly Lambeau. He also played. Um. So what was his career? So 1919 to 1929. So basically the same. They're they're. They're playing at the exact same time, both of these guys. So I'm sure they cross paths Absolutely. a few times out on the Absolutely. gridiron. And, and, and La uh, yeah, Lambeau played uh, for played for at Notre Dame with Newt Rock, you know, for Newt Rockney in 1918. Nope. Oh. And uh, Curly and Curly Lambeau was a uh, similar story to founding the Packers. Was he worked for a company called Indian Packing Company? Oh. which had like, again had just a football team on the side, and then he became like the best player on this team. And then, like they, like he made the this team, like it was just like a regular team, like a you know, there's other teams around the country, like they weren't part of anything super special, but that, but his team was so good with him on it yeah. that they were just that they were like, so they they ended up in 19, two years later after he was just playing for this team, they like they were so good that they were like, well, let's go, let's we're gonna play in the NFL, like yeah. they became so good with him. <laughs> it's a beer league going, hey, basically, let's, let's yeah, jump into the NFL. That's NFL. kind of the, the scenario, <laughs> yeah, but that these two guys, these two legendary figures, were both uh. players for these teams that they founded. And they were so good. They made their team so good that they, in essence, played their way to the NFL. What a time that a team could do that, you know, that, yeah. that you could have just uh, – Well, what's preventing somebody from doing it now? Uh, millions of dollars. No, it's not. That's not that's, I don't think so, Jamie. i got to disagree. The league? No, what's preventing it is anybody wanting to do it. Yeah. That's what's, is pre what's preventing it is the, is the limitations set by ourselves. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, anybody – there's – we look back in history. That's one of the things I love mm -hmm. about history is that, is that like you know they say history repeats itself or whatever. You know one of the well, I'll say it like this: one of the people talk about history repeating itself, you know, or if you don't learn from history, you're doomed yeah. to repeat it. To Almost mistakes, like a negative yeah. line of thought, right? Yeah. But there's a more hopeful line of thought, which is really the core component of why I study history. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is really a, a chance for me to mention this: is that 
is that if you study what people did in the past and did right and succeeded at, you can stand on their shoulders and do things that they never would have would have even thought possible. Hmm. Right. So this is an example like. The, these two guys, you know, became legends. I mean, I could right. sit here like I've got all these notes. I could, and this, this was a summary. I could get here and go notes upon notes. I mean, all the things that these guys did were massive, and they these start they started out. They they started their teams. They made their teams good. You know, like they were like you know they just did it because they loved the sport and they built their teams into something and became legends, basically yeah. with their own bare hands. <laughs> and so that's like really the American spirit you yeah. know i mean it is and so if somebody in in and i guess that's why i'm, I'm getting kind of um you know into this component because that, this is my other project yes. i'm working on yes. that's what i'm trying to do right this is what i'm trying to do yeah but for major league baseball yeah i'm gonna build my own team and and win my way to major league baseball because i know i got something mm. and there ain't nobody between me and mlb that's gonna be able to stop me okay so i'm that's what i'm saying so i will be doing this you know this i this blueprint here i'm not following theirs i got my own okay but that will like i say the, the only thing stopping anybody from wanting to do anything in this in this world is their own their own restrictions on themselves so um that's what i'm saying so it is it is possible and uh you know so anyways so Curly Lambo and George Hallis got are, you riled up there, brother. You know how I work. You know how I roll. You know how I roll. I get into something. I stick my teeth into That's something. And I, you know, I got a thought I want to convey. That's it. I saw no soapbox in any way, shape, or form. None of my seat over that, here. That was yeah. just you doing you. That was yeah. great. I went off script for a second. <laughs> That's it. No, it's good. No. <laughs> Not that there, we really have a script. No. I got a little bit of a note. Some note things going. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, anyways, so like Hallis is like this. You can see by his person. You know, there's that mm-hmm. photo. I think kind of captures the way he was. Which was he's a there you know both these guys are pioneers of the game. Palace right. is you know this like determined like um, just you know like intense individual that is going to you know as you see with this example of Ace Gatowski, if it's true tripping right. you know tripping Ace Gatowski in a field that you know to win a game um, you can see how that this you know the intensity of him and then Curly Lambeau was a little more of a flashy sort of flamboyant character mm-hmm. um, like. Uh, Super sharp dress, like you know, based like found his way into newspapers all over the place. Yeah, um, they say he was a uh, a royal like royalty in Green Bay. Yeah, all the stuff he was doing, he was building this like dominant team in Green Bay. He was born and bred in Green Bay as well. He was a he was a native son. Mm. Um, so yeah, so so you have these two guys, and then the, and the one thing that that I like, one of the best things I saw about the two of them that which uh, which I thought was interesting was. That Hallis and Curly Lambeau, the connection they have is that they never shook hands with each other oh ever in their careers during a, like before a game. Like oh, they man. would never, they like neither one of them wanted anything to do with each other. <laughs> and so you have, so you see the intensity back then. And yeah. this is what I mean. Like you know, the, that's why some of these stories with these games are so like interesting, is because like you know, like you mentioned with the other game, like you, you know how they would never do stuff like this now, or like with the um, you know, with this with the stadium and stuff like this. But this, this I was saying, like sometimes, that's what one of the things that I that I look at sports today, and in it, um, and that's one of the things I want to bring back with the stuff I'm doing with the other project I'm mm-hmm. doing with the baseball, is that everything is so sanitized today. Right. Everything is so sanitized. You can't like the the players are told not to do any celebrating. Everything is like you know it's like an unwritten rule. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed. It's like like you player you know you see players give interviews and they're just like oh it was a good game you know we tried we did our best like everything is so sanitized oh, yeah. it used to be like back in these days or whatever like this it was like they made up the rules as they went along mm-hmm. yeah. and the rules of the games were basically only there 
because like they, they like to stop from like the 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 abuses of these people that you know uh, abusing the previous rules, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, like, right. I mean, you look up some of the early history of baseball, like the Baltimore. If you ever want to read some great stuff, read about the Baltimore Orioles from the early or from the late eighteen uh, hundreds. Yeah. And like, literally, they had a rule book, and they would just go through and see like what rules they could like were not there <laughs> that they could abuse. <laughs> right. You see what I'm saying? Like, and it was like, I mean, it was almost like you know, not necessarily with the cheating the thing with the what Astros. rule are we bending here? Yeah. Like some of the things are, are out of bounds. I get it, you know, mm-hmm. but um, but. Other things, like I say, you know, this it's that's that's one of the things I think that we look back with these games or with these leagues and stuff from back in the day about why we love them so much is that like the unsanitized nature of it. Yeah. You know, one of the things we didn't mention in the in this thirty two championship game is that this is that the dirt that they play on this is a oh. cement floor, okay? <laughs> this you know for an ice arena, <laughs> right, right, and so right. A, a week before this. The circus was in town, and the dirt from the circus was still on the cement. As were the peanut shells. As <laughs> were the keep going. And the elephant, elephant poo. There yep. you go. And uh, cigar butts and whatever else you want to throw, whatever else was mixed in with the dirt was there. Uh. Yeah. And so um, I read an article before I came out to, uh, for this show about um, George Hallis's daughter, who was the, some, a guy from the Chicago Tribune had actually interviewed um, to talk about, you know, because she was there. And, mm. and she, they said... What was it like to be there? And she's like, the only thing I remember is the smell. Oh, the only thing wow. I remember is the smell from the circus. You know, so that's unsanitized. Oh, man. man. She remembers the smell of the game. That's oh. what she remembers. You see what I'm saying? It's like we go, oh, man, it stinks forever. But she, but that one thing mm-hmm. was brought with her for, what, 80 years or whatever yeah. it was later. And that was her only memory. You know, like, <laughs> and st- and, you know, how, like anybody that's listening to this or watching this, like some of the best like memories, like when you whenever you talk about, oh, I was at some game. Yeah. Oh, I was at some you remember some event. Yeah. Like the story you tell about it was like, Oh, it was such an incredible day. The Tigers won this or whatever like this. Mm-hmm. No, you talk about something crazy that happened. Yeah. You talk about something weird that happened. Like, oh, a friend of mine, it was uh, was there for the 1968, um, I think it was the AL that when the Tigers won the um AL championship. I think it was either that game. Or it was one of the World Series games. I forgot exactly which game it was, but it was an important game. It was a very important. I think it was. It might have been the game that the Tigers clinched that AL championship, won the pennant. Because at the game, the left field fence at at uh, Tiger Stadium, which was Briggs Stadium at that at that point, that fence. Um, they were shaking the fence <laughs> in, in left field, and the fence snapped. Like I'll there was good. some fence or whatever that wow. snapped, and when it snapped, the, it was like the cops or the stadium maintenance guys. He told them that they had to hold onto the fence the rest of the game because if it fell off, they would have to like delay the game, and it might right. end up like causing like a um, right, the, right. like the defaulting the game or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, like it might be a uh, um, you know, like a, they might put the game on hold and may. And maybe have to reset the score or something. They didn't oh, know. Yeah. So they had to like hold the fence the rest of the game, right? Right. And so, so, so here's it. So he doesn't remember the score of that game. No, right. He doesn't remember. He's like, oh, I remember they, I think it was the game they clinched. Like he doesn't, he remembers holding that fence up. <laughs> that's unsanitized. Right. So that's what I'm saying is that some of the best moments in sports, like it's like we, we got to like, you know, pad everything. We got to have everything, you know, uh, super clean and super like this. But like I think, like I say, some of the best moments, like, just take your gloves off. Like the, the the stadium doesn't have to be perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. The players don't have to be perfectly dressed. In fact, you know, like the like you know, imagine a baseball team or whatever. That's you know, like some of the, there's a there's a show on Netflix where it's um it talks about the Portland Mavericks. Yeah. And like this team, they're like 
they didn't have the best jerseys. They didn't have the best, you know, their jerseys were sometimes dirty or ripped or whatever like this. You hmm. know, they're, and they're like, oh, but man, we love that team. It's always like the, that, that team that is, that is not perfect, mm-hmm. that is grungy or dirty or tattered or whatever like this that yeah. people love. Right. You see what I'm saying? And that's what I mean. So, um, yeah. So, so to the 1933 championship, it was Green Bay 32, 32, but in 1933, one, one, the next year. Oh, the following year. The following yeah, year. Yeah. It was at Green Bay and in, in Chicago. Well, the following year, the, the you know the the concept. So what happens in thirty three is is that Dutch Clark does not come back. Oh, okay. okay. He stays in Colorado as a as a as a as a uh, coach. Okay. And so he uh so without Dutch Clark, the team is nowhere near as good. Right. And so, but I mean, Glenn Presnell, we mentioned his name, and he's going to be a, another critical name to to understand in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in this story, especially with the birth of the Lions and all this, it was he, he was one of the guys that picked out the colors for the Lions, you know, to, for their jersey colors. But, uh, Glenn Presnell, Glenn Presnell became, um, was like their number one guy in 1933. And the, the parts, uh, Portsmouth was still competitive. I mean, they finished with a, a six and five record, second place to the Bears in 1933. Hmm. Um, uh, Presnell led the league in scoring that year. I mean, he was a great player. Presnell hmm. was, a, and that's one of the sad elements of this entire story. Is just how you know Dutch Clark was such a big um, name in, right. in this time that, and that's kind of how I that's that was the character arc that I wrote into the screenplay mm-hmm. between Glenn Presnell. That, I mean, that's really the, the one of the main character arcs of the entire Detroit Lions story in the screenplay is this is how Dutch Clark was this like reluctant hero, like he didn't want, like he was retired, retired like every year, yeah. like even all the way as his Lions career, he like every year at the end of the year, he's like I'm done, I'm retired, and part of the possibly have to like lure him out of apartment, going, come on Dutch, you're gonna, you know, just give us one more year, <laughs> come, come on. on, you know, one more year. Yeah. It was always having to lure Dutch out. He's actually like, okay, you know, I don't really want to play, and then he'd come on the field and be like the greatest player in mm-hmm. NFL, you know, yeah. and so and so that you know that was the, the and then and then Glenn Presnell was like always there for Potsy, like. Mr. Reliable played every game. Like was you know even Dutch left the team. You know uh, Glenn Presnell leads the you know he's the now the new leader of the team and leads them to a six and five record, um, second place. And so you know he wanted to be the guy. Yeah, he was always and he was one of the best players in the team, but he just wasn't as good. Like really, you know, he wasn't that next level elite like Dutch. And so he was always in the shadow of Dutch. Mm. And that's the story I have. And so he was a guy that. That wanted to be like sort of the guy, you know. That's why, at least, how I wrote the character arc and the um, that you know, the two like the sort of dichotomy between those two was that Dutch like didn't even really want the fame and glory. Yeah. He, he just kind of liked playing the game. Uh, yeah. Um, and then Presnell loved playing the game as well, but they, but he, you know, was like you know constantly in Dutch's shadow no matter what happened. And like you know, without he knew that without Dutch they weren't you know anywhere near as good. But you know, he wanted to be the guy at the same point, which is. To, and they were both starting quarterbacks because back then you again we play Ironman football, but you still you know you had and this time you had um you they played a single wing offense so you'd have three running backs and then a, a another um player split out so it was like really four running backs hmm. and so um and so a lot of times what happened is that Glenn Presnell was the starting starting back he would he would start the game okay excuse me and then um. So he would start the game and then, and he would play, do his thing, and Potsy would sit back and watch to see how the defense was reacting to his game plan. Yeah. And then once he had the defense measured, he would replace Glenn Presnell with Dutch. And then Dutch was like, a, <laughs> Dutch, seriously, Dutch was like yeah. a Napoleon. And when, once he got out there, Potsy would be like, this is what you want. Yeah, that guy, you know, that right cornerback <laughs> is just terrible. You know, yeah. like target that guy all day, you know. <laughs> so he would give D- Dutch like a sort of a directional, 
thing. And then Dutch, once he got out there, would just be poetry in motion, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, and then, you know, they would play in the same time. Him and Glenn Personnel would play at the same time. But anyways, 1933, they did not have Dutch Clark. And um, the team would, uh, um, you know, the team would finish in second place. The Bears would go on to answer your question, Matt. The Bears would go on to beat the Giants in the next NFL championship. Okay, okay. thank you for that. Yes. So they, so the it, that now so the league is split in half, mm -hmm. and the Bears would beat the Giants in that in the you know the next actual purposeful NFL championship right. game. Yeah. Wow. And, and if you look, if you look at the records from 1932. You'll notice that the record, because what because that even though it was a championship game between the two of them, usually that doesn't factor into the regular season standings. In 1932, it did. It okay. was just it was really just looked at as like an, an extra game. Okay, and so that game factored into the the overall season records of both teams. That's why it's not it's not tied in the um when you look at 1932. Okay, so um, but anyways, so 1933 they the, the team falters, and at this point. Um, at this point, the team is absolutely destitute. Like they have no, like they're not, like they, they have, they don't have the money to pay their players. And oh, that's why Dutch yeah. didn't come back Yeah, because he knew he has a solid job in Colorado sure. when he was in, when he was in, um, Portia, there's, I've got a quote in the book where, um, which is actually from another guy's book where he actually says, uh, he actually says the, um, the, the, the last one to get to the bank to get their check cashed usually was the odd man out. Uh, like there wasn't enough money to cover their wow. paychecks. Like, so they would get a paycheck and they would all scramble to the yeah. bank trying to get paid. Yeah, right. yeah. That's how the situation became, you know, in 1930, 32 and then in 33 in Portsmouth was, it was they eventually they started issuing shares of the team to the players, which is mm. like, now you're starting to head down, <laughs> down the abyss when you're like, Oh, we don't have any money today, but this is just <laughs> as good as money. And they're right, like, right. it's a share of a team that can't pay anybody. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, you know, like, but this is just as good as money, you know? Mm. So, <laughs> but so that was what was happening. And, and it just, and it really, the last couple of games, this is an example of this, you know, Potsy Clark, you know, in this situation is that Potsy is like really the, is, you know, keeping this team together. Right. And like, he's like, I know you're not getting paid. I know you're not getting paid. I know like we have no money. I know you're getting paid in, you know, shares of stock. But, um, you know, you signed on to be with this team. You signed on to, you know, play, you know, to be on this. And like, we've got like three games left or two games left. And he's like, you know, if we just all walk away, you know, we can't just walk away. There's a, I've got a quote in the book that talks about this where he's like, where he's actually saying, um, you know, did you want to just walk away? You know, I mean, you're just going to leave the season hanging with just, you know, abandon the last two games of the year. Mm -hmm. Like this might be the last time you ever play anyway. As, yeah. as a professional, you signed, you signed on the dotted exactly. line, finish out your contract. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so he was, so Potsy was the guy that really like, that's what I'm saying. Like he kept this team, you know, like they're like, well, we're, you know, I'm going to go sign with another team or something. And, mm -hmm. and Potsy was like, no, you know, this is so, but he created this, like, you know, I love the word is spirit decor, mm -hmm. you know, this, 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 um, you know, this sense, like, and I think that's an element that's, that is, it's not missing in today's professional game, but right. it's in a lot of cases, uh, you know, it's because of the mercenary like nature of, of the current sports world. A lot of time, like one of the things that used to be, I mean, that's how it sports just used to be across the board mm -hmm. was um, that you would build up a team. And these guys, it's almost like a high school or college team where like everybody would get to know each other. Uh, they would develop that pro, you know, that that core group of players over the course of years. They would augment it with other players. And then that team, like that core group, and I'm not saying it's not missing in today's game, but it just um, that, but that's one of my favorite. I think it be, it's becoming less and less. Um, with some of the way that these teams are built today, where they're just spend money on a bunch of guys sure. and acquire, you know, all like that. But, you know, this, this, the, that these teams are, they have this core group of guys 
that uh that all come up together and i think that's that you know that creates that special nature for for a championship when this when this group of because the fans follow along you know they they watch these guys come up as youngsters and they're not very good or maybe they're maybe they are good you know what i mean like they but they follow their progression as they grow and then they grow together the teams you know they see the team's weaknesses they see you know what i mean that's like that's like one of that's one of my favorite things about following any sports team yeah. is watching that team grow even if it's even if they're like not that you know even if they don't win necessarily in a year Watching a team's progression, you know, over the course of three or four years, is that they eventually, and you're like, "This is our year. Yeah. We know this is our year. We've got this guy. We've added this piece." I think that's the one of the most compelling components about following teams, and they had that in mm-hmm. this, and the fact that they were able to retain it through the 1933, you know, hell season where they had no money and like no Dutch and all this, you know, like they're, yeah. you know, all this um, was a was a completely a. Um, uh, you know, a tribute to the you know what Potsy Clark brought you know to this organization. Okay, and like I say, so he was the guy that kept them going. He built this incredible team. Like we talked about Matt, you were here the last episode, but they you know he did this roster over uh, overhaul where he where he first his first year in Portsmouth in 1931, he cuts 30 guys, Jeez. 30 players yeah. from the previous year's roster, uh. and then the roster, and then he reach and then he set the new number of players on the roster to 26. It adds like I think it was uh, nineteen new guys. Talk about pulling talent, exactly. Mm, and then, yeah. it, and then, it, it, when, then when it ended up being on, it was like nine of those guys were with with him when they went to Detroit, you know, nineteen thirty four. And then mm-hmm. like six of them were still with the team when they won the thirty five championship. Wow. So that's what I mean. Like it was this core group yeah. that he that he first of all he brought them. They were all his signs, or virtually all of them were his signs. They're his guys. Mm-hmm. He drilled these guys relentlessly. Like Patsy Clark's style of developing a team was. He would have like four or five plays, yeah. okay? And all these plays, he, these players would be able to do them blindfolded, okay? Mm. That was his objective, mm. was drill, 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 drill. Just like you would like, you will literally be able to do these plays. Muscle memory. It, yeah. Muscle memory, exactly, like to perfection. Nice. And then once they had these plays down to that sort of level, he would add slight changes that they knew that, like, okay, instead of this, you know, it's like basically a reverse of that play. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. all knew exactly what to do. And then there's a great quote in the book that talks about that's actually Dutch Clark's um, own words, where he talks about how the team would be driving down the road, like headed to a game, right there in a in a bus or whatever, and uh, Potsy would see a blank slate of grass, and he would say, "Stop the bus." They would pull over. And they would start running that drill in the open field. Man. They would just like literally like for like an hour. Like I just love in the middle that. of a bus nice. drive. Yeah. Can you imagine that today? Yeah. Unsanitized. <laughs> yeah. But you see what I'm saying? There it, it goes back to what you're saying. Like this element, like that's what makes his folklore. Like to yeah. say folklore is this underappreciated sense, you know, in sports where it's like um, they, like these players in the past are bigger, more heroic. You know, went through harder things, whatever. and they did. Yeah. Well, yeah, but each generation says that about the generation before. <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, but they're you they're you know like even like the 1980s, you know the 84 Tigers, and I'd be like, oh, you know, 84 Tigers, and people are like, no, no, the, no, the 68 Tigers, yeah. like that was the year, that yeah, was yeah, the team. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's this folklore, and it's a you know that, 84 that's Tigers are all a, doing blow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about all that. That's yeah. on you. You're throwing yeah, that out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be careful. There's some Tiger fans listening. So I didn't see that in his books anyway. But anyways, they um. So anyways, they uh. Um. But there's this, like I say, that sense of folklore, that sense of like not you know being you know that's you know that like the sanitized. I think the first. This is what I'm trying to get to. The first sort of team that comes out and is just like 
unsanitized. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like does it like does that kind yeah. of stuff that says like, and that's what I'm trying to get to with this team that I want to bring out is you know we don't care about the ballpark. Our ballparks are going to be the worst ballparks in the country, though, mm-hmm. that we play at. But that's going to be like I think people want that. Mm-hmm. I think that people yeah. want this like. Oh, check out our fifty million dollar ballpark! Like, I don't, I don't, I want to watch a baseball game. Yeah. Like, you know, what I mean, imagine, um, just imagine this. But, dude, a Ferris wheel, come just, on, a Ferris wheel in America. Imagine a professional baseball team. I'm not talking about major leagues. I'm talking about like a minor league team that just has like a basic ballpark that seats like two thousand fans. Okay, mm-hmm. just, just it's really just has the the seating for two thousand, right? Because how and many people are actually watching when they're? When it's they're like there's no yeah. frills. There's literally there's no carnival. There's no like it's yeah, not yeah. some thirty to fifty million dollar ballpark. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's just good enough to play baseball at, right? Mm. It's it's the, the so the entire product is focused on the field itself. Mm-hmm. You see, like that ball that team. Okay, imagine a professional team coming out like that and challenging like other leagues around the country. That team, like it was, when everybody anybody focuses on that team or on that uh, you know on that thing, they go. Their ballpark is a dump. Uh. <laughs> Their ballpark is a total dump. But the but, hot dogs are amazing. Yeah, but you know, like maybe like we even have a have a grill out there. You're cooking hot dogs or hamburgers on <laughs> for these fans or whatever. But my point is that would be the one of the most interesting teams in the country. It would be because would be, yeah. they're the only team out there that doesn't yeah. have a fifty million dollar ballpark. You see, what I'm saying like mm-hmm. that. San- I think that there is actually a. Uh, I think that there's actually a market in this current world where people are kind of th- where people are tired of. You know, where we look back and go, oh, man, that is so cool that they would stop the bus on the side of the road and practice. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Uh, you know, wh- why would you not? Like, that's the coolest thing. Imagine an NFL team today stopping on the yeah. side of a road no, just no. for the heck of it, stopping here, no. you know, in Northville and running a, a bunch practice of millionaires. Uh, yeah, but imagine jets. if they did. Yeah. Uh, how cool right. would that be? Yeah. Just for uh, to just a random team to just say, hey, we're going to have a practice on a random field. It's a the, pop-up practice. Last yeah. thing I have to say about this point is this, right. is that this is that this year, that before this whole Corona thing shut it down, mm-hmm. there was about to be a, um, the Major League Baseball was going to have a game at the Field of Dreams in oh. Iowa. Oh. Okay. I do, I heard yeah. about that. I do remember They were going to have that. a game at the Field of Dreams in Iowa. They actually, yeah. they, but they weren't going to play at the Field of Dreams, which they should have. Right. They, were, they built a whole other ballpark next to it. Right. With a, with a path through the cornfield, probably for the grand entrance or whatever. Right. Because like, you, yeah. you got to have at least 5,000 fans there to be able to have a, you know, so we can make money off the thing or whatever. Yeah. But I, but I'm just saying, like, even though they didn't play at the you know on the original field dream mm-hmm. and played right next door to it or whatever they that game they were saying like this is going to be the most interesting game out there right, right. and why wouldn't it be you're sure. playing, they're playing in a cornfield or the are these ice hockey games where they play at Comerica outdoors yeah. right? you see what i'm saying it's like this sort of unsanitized thing people have this longing i think for that and so, anyways, yeah, that's uh, what you know. That's where. We're so we're going to pause this. it there, and we're going to yeah. head into 1934. Yeah, next we'll go year, into 1934. Yeah, 1934 launches the you know the transition of the Spartans into Detroit as you know as the Lions. Cool. And so, um, thanks yeah, to everybody to for uh, we're going to go with it. Yeah. Hanging out and uh, listening in. Like, subscribe, leave a comment, and the website is uh, DetroitCityOfChampions.com. All right, Facebook and all the socials you find us there. And until uh, next time, uh, you know we'll we'll see you we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.